Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. Well, good morning. If you don't know me, my name is Joe, and I'm honored to be closing out our At The Movies 90s edition series, and we are on part four. And if you're just joining us, don't worry. I want to recap a little bit, because what we've been doing is we've been taking stories that these movies tell, pairing that with God's word, and discovering some amazing truths. So, so far, we've discovered how to pray, and then we've discovered how to love our enemy. And then last week, Josh taught us how we can defeat the enemy in spiritual warfare. But none of that is going to make sense, or none of that could happen unless we discover the truth that we are going to learn today. But in true Hollywood movie fashion, I'm going to leave you on that cliffhanger, and I'm going to ask you a question. This is our one of our main questions this morning. What do you think Long Islanders are living for? <laughs> what do you think Long Islanders are living for? Is it the bagels and the pizza? Is, uh, is it uh, having the best lawn on the block, keeping up with the neighbors? Maybe it's the return of pumpkin spice lattes, anybody? Um, or maybe it's just living to survive, living paycheck to paycheck. Living to, we just need to keep the kids alive. Um, to, or maybe for you it's something completely different. Maybe I'm just living to buy nice things. I'm just living to pamper myself. Or I, I'm living to party and hook up. Or I'm living just for the approval of others. But maybe what you're living for today doesn't even fit in any of those categories. But what I've learned is that what we live for falls into two categories. And that is, is what we are living for giving us life or is it demanding our life? If you really think about that this morning, what you are living for, is it right now giving you life or is it demanding your life? You know, I can remember a time in a previous job where I was just working extra hours every day. I was working like, and it was the only thing that I was focused on. And in my head, it was all under the guise of like, okay, I'm going to just provide better for my family or I'm going to climb the ladder and that's going to make me feel fulfilled. But when I really stepped back, I just realized this job is demanding my life and everything else is taking a back seat. And when I really like examined it, I saw things, I saw just traits of selfishness, traits of greed. And that was what was dictating what I was living for at the time. And maybe you can relate this morning. Maybe for you, it's something totally different. Maybe for you, it's lustful thoughts. They dictate what you live for. Or maybe you find yourself depressed or lonely because what others think about you and what others say about you is what dictates your life. Or maybe it's your finances. You're just in this sea of debt and you just feel like the next payment is what you're living for. Well, we're going to follow two people this morning who just like us may have been living for something else that isn't life-giving, who may have felt that demand, the pull on their lives. And they've taken what they have lived for and let them lead down a path that isn't life-giving at all. 
But today, I said it in the beginning, there is good news. It is not all doom and gloom, because what we're going to discover today is that living a life for Jesus is the only thing worth living for. It is the only thing that is going to give you life and not demand it. Because no one this morning here just wants to survive. No one this morning just wants to feel like they're just grinding out the day-to-day, and they're just running on empty, they're running on seven cups of coffee, and they're not feeling refreshed. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's not living at all. But we are created on purpose for a purpose. You were created by God on purpose for a purpose for something bigger. So imagine we could live for someone or something that would give us life. So the first person I want to look at is the man by the name of Saul. You may know him now as Paul. He was a man who wound up actually writing two-thirds of the New Testament. But where we're going to look at is a time in his life where Saul was a religious leader, what, Jewish, what the Jewish people would call a Pharisee. And Saul was living for the law. Now, the law is something that God did give the Jewish people. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see that there. But the Pharisees took that law and they added hundreds more. And they were just so fixated on living exactly by the law. And they would look down on people who wouldn't live in that exacting way. And when Saul heard that a man named Jesus started a following and he's claiming to be God, this man named Jesus of Nazareth, son of a carpenter, Paul, Saul is actually completely and utterly angered about this because he feels that this is a false prophet. He knows what he knows in the law, all these laws that were created. He knows what he's read and studied in the synagogue, but he's so blinded by what he's seen that he's now on a crusade to persecute each and every person who follows Jesus. Now, back then they were calling someone who followed Jesus the way. So anyone who was following the way, he was adamant that he was going to persecute them. So if we flip over to Acts 9, I want to start right in the beginning. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone there who was belonging to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. This was considered sacrilegious to Saul, and he was so all-consumed by this that he hadn't even considered that Jesus may actually be the Messiah, the Son of God, that the prophets wrote about, that he's actually studied. But see, the Pharisees, they thought that the Messiah was going to come in the form of a political figure. So to him, this was completely and utterly against God's law. In fact, my study Bible says that the Pharisees were so all-encompassing about this that they would actually compete with each other. Who can be the more strict? Who can be more zealous? Who can work more harder? Who can follow the law exactly than the other? That it's overtaken what, the, what, what God's principles are really about. So I want to hold the note right there because we've talked about Saul, but I want to talk about our, the other character named Peter Banning, and he's our main character in the movie Hook. Now, Saul and Peter may have a little more in common than you originally think. So Peter Banning is a successful lawyer. He's got a wife and two beautiful kids. They are living a really comfortable lifestyle. But Peter is all consumed by his job. 
he can't resist to take a phone call during his daughter's recital. He keeps missing his son Jack's baseball games because he keeps staying at work later and later. And work is now becoming his number one priority. And now we find a part in the movie where they're actually taking family vacation to London because they're honoring his mother-in-law. They're naming an orphanage after her. And now Peter is in London with his family, yet he can't make time for them. Let's take a look at this first clip. Wow. Um, so Pastor Keith actually saw this clip before and he said something that rings so true. Watching that as a 90s kid versus now watching it as a parent hits a whole lot differently. <laughs> like, I mean, this is relevant to today. I feel like this is like me in quarantine on a Zoom call. My daughter's banging on the door and I'm just like, can you just get me quiet? I'm like, oh my goodness, Jesus, I need this sermon just as everyone else needs this sermon. Um, so <laughs> what's happening with Peter here? He's He's living for himself right now. His family, his relationships, everything else is taking a back seat. And what we're seeing in both Saul and Peter's lives is that when you live for yourself, selfishness can live inside of you. When you live for yourself, selfishness can live inside of you. Now, none of us here are selfish, right? I mean, but, we, but we've, all, we've all encountered a selfish person in the past. You know, maybe they only hang out with you and it's very convenient for them, or maybe in a conversation with a selfish person, they seem to be spacing when you talk, but then they're really ready and excited to talk about themselves, or eh, this person just seems to have a lot of me time, and, and, and it just seems like they are all about themselves. Proverbs 18.1 says, a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Maybe you can relate to Saul and Peter in these situations. I know I can. I know I've had situations in my life where selfishness got the best of me, where my own desires took precedent over other things, whether that was, you know, I'm going to put this on a credit card, even though I have other responsibilities, but myself just wants the shiny new thing. Or, or maybe it was, in, in my case, you know, my daughter wanting to spend time with me, wanting to play with me, and then me coming up with an excuse to either go work more, watch a show, or play a game. And right now, maybe you have some selfish desires ruling your life this morning. And maybe it is the daily grind for the promotion. Or it's a desire to be the center of your life in social settings, both in person and online. But as we read along with Saul and as we watch along with Peter, we're going to realize that this isn't the path that God wants for us to live by. Because a life ruled by selfishness can become an unwise life. So let's catch back up with Saul. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute people who want to follow Jesus. And we're seeing someone who has lost sight of God's principles. In fact, later in Saul's life, he reflects on this in Acts chapter 22. Verses 3 to 4, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and I was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them 
into prison. Notice Saul's words here. He thought he was being zealous. He thought he was working hard to persecute these men and women, and that is what was giving him favor in God's eyes. He thought that the harder he did that, the more favor he would have with God. But for those who are following Jesus this morning, you know that that's not what it's all about. There is nothing that you can do to earn this amazing gift of salvation that Jesus sacrificed himself for us. The way that Saul was connecting to God is what we might call religion today. Bargaining his works for hopefully some of more of God's love. But I'm so thankful that we have Jesus this morning. And yet, like Saul, Peter thinks that he can work harder. Just do a little more to get him out of a sticky situation. So as you saw in the trailer, Peter Banning is actually Peter Pan grown up, but he's been away from Neverland so long that he has forgotten who he is. And so Captain Hook, his nemesis, comes and kidnaps Peter's kids and brings them to Never Neverland. And Captain Hook does this because he gets his name based on the hook on his hand, a hand that Peter Pan took from him. And now he wants his revenge. Now he wants his final war. And Peter is, finds himself in Never Neverland, not believing in any of it. So let's take a look at his first encounter with Captain Hook. So here's where we're at with Saul and Peter. Saul has lost sight of God's principles. Peter has lost his imagination and is unable to save his kids. You see, they're, they're not only just both living for themselves, they're also living for others. Saul finds himself feeling justified in God's eyes for this crusade, but he's really blinded by the approval that he's getting from the other Pharisees, from the Jewish community, for how hard he's working. And then Saul recounts this lost way in Philippians later on in his life. Philippians 3, 4 through 6 says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrews of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. He thought he had every credential. He thought he had everything in order, yet he was so lost. And all Peter can think about is using his checkbook to get him out of a situation, just using the hard work that he, that he put in, ignoring his family, using his bank account, instead of him realizing that his imagination is all that he really needed. And maybe you could think of a time where you relied on the wrong thing when you were going through a tough spot in your life. Maybe for you it was a toxic partner in a relationship or an unhealthy overindulgence in food or a time when drugs and alcohol became your coping mechanism or it was just burying yourself in your work, isolating yourself when you felt the most overwhelmed. Or maybe it was self-hatred or self-loathing. But does any of those things sound like they truly give you life? 
No, they demand your life and ultimately lead down to a path of destruction. But we serve a God who will be there always for us, who we can run to no matter how we're feeling about ourselves, about our situations. Psalms 46, one says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So what, who, where, what are you seeking refuge in this morning when you're in times of trouble? Because if the answer is anything else but God, whatever you're seeking is just not going to be there for you always. But we have a God who will never turn his back on us, who will say, I will give you life. You do not need to feel a demand on your life. So now Saul, who's on his way to persecute Christians, he has a divine intervention with Jesus himself. So let's take a look at Acts 9, 3 through 8. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see anything. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. I can only imagine what Saul is feeling right now. He just had a divine intervention with Jesus, God himself, the, the man who he's on the way to persecute more people for following. And so now he's blinded. And he's being led into Damascus. And what God does is he tells a disciple named Ananias to meet him there. So let's see what happens further down in Acts 9, starting in 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eye, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. What an incredible 180 transformation that Saul just had. And I want to talk about it more. But before I do, I do want to wrap up Peter's story. Because Peter, his kids' lives hang in the balance. He's being told he used to run Neverland, lead a, a team called the Lost Boys, and yet he doesn't believe any of it. And so he, in the movie later on, he winds up catching up with the Lost Boys. This is a group of boys that him as Peter Pan used to lead. And is now, that, that, that team is being led by a new leader named Rufio. And now Peter is in the monks, the Lost Boys, and they don't even recognize him. So Tinkerbell convinces the Lost Boys to try to do anything to get Peter to regain his imagination, to remember who he is. And when things feel like just all is lost, there's a dinner that happens. There's a confrontation between Peter and the new leader, Rufio. And one thing to note, Peter can't see this dinner because he doesn't have his imagination. So let's take a look at this confrontation. 
Peter finally discovers who he truly is through a regaining of his imagination. And soon after, he's able to fly again and ultimately save his kids and defeat Captain Hook and become leader of the Lost Boys once again. But I want to get back to Saul's story because that transformation we see in Damascus is just the beginning. Saul was living for the law. He was living to impress others. But after that intervention with Christ, he realized that there is only one thing in life worth living for, and that is Jesus. In fact, if we go back to Philippians 3, Paul ends verse 7. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So Saul goes to he goes on to plant many churches in life. He winds up writing two-thirds of the New Testament that you know today. He raises up other disciples to carry Jesus and his word across the world, but not in his name, all in the name of Jesus for the glory of God. Philippians 4:13, he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, we may not be able to fly around like Peter Pan and Neverland, but as adopted children of God, we are we are strengthened and we are alive through the power of Jesus Christ. And so today, the question that I want to come back to and the question that I want us to ask ourselves is what are you living for? Does it demand your life right now, or is it life-giving? And maybe today you do relate to Peter, who's been focused only on his job, and everything else is secondary. Or today you might feel like Saul, where you need the approval of others, or you even need the approval of God by working a little bit harder to get what you need. But the truth is, anything in this world is going to demand our life in order to obtain it whether that is working yourself to the bone, whether that is trying to impress somebody, whether that is trying to buy your way in and out of things. But only Jesus said this. He said, I will give up my life to obtain you. And that is what it's all about. That is the gospel. That is why it is worth living for Jesus. And it's the only way we're going to have a life-giving life because he sacrificed himself for our sins. We have this access to God. We have this relationship with him always. I want to invite the worship team up. I want to read one last verse. Luke 9, 23 through 25, Jesus says this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life from me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? As disciples of Jesus, that is who we're living for. He gave up his life so that we could obtain life, that we can have this life-giving relationship with him, with his Holy Spirit. And there's nothing else that can do that this morning. No one else but Jesus. So this morning, I want to pray for us. I want to pray for those who are feeling like Saul, feeling like Peter right now, feeling trapped, feeling like they don't have anyone to go to, feeling the, the, the demand, the pull of life. 
And I want to pray that God softens our hearts, that we know that we can run to him always. We can seek refuge in him. So if you join me, I'd like to pray this morning. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to worship together in this space and online, Lord. You sent your son to do this incredible act of grace by dying on the cross for our sins, Lord, so that we only need to focus on our relationship with you. There is nothing that we can do to work harder to earn it. It is a free gift, Lord. Lord, I pray for people who are going through it right now, Lord. I pray for the people who feel like their Monday through Friday is a constant demand, that at the end of the day, they feel like they're not living life. They're just having life demand themselves. Lord, I pray that you soften their hearts. You show them that you are worth going to in all areas of life, that your Holy Spirit lives within us, that we can be encouraged to know that we can run to you always and that nothing else will do besides you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite you to stand up. We're going to sing one last worship song called Nothing Else because it truly is nothing else that we'll do.